0: Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. So we, we've been doing a series for the last couple of weeks, last three weeks or so. We're calling Almost Heaven, and we're, we're talking, kind of using the 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 song and kind of the state slogan as a launching point to talk about what is really a calling and assignment on every man or woman of God, everyone who's accepted Jesus as Savior, that we are supposed to be people that advance God's kingdom wherever God has planted you to be working and actively striving to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the assignment. Someday we'll get to experience that in its fullness. But up until that point, wherever God has planted, we're fortunate enough to live in West Virginia. Our job here is to establish his kingdom and get as many people into that kingdom. You know, the goodness, the blessing, the peace of God, the joy of God, that's not just stuff for someday when we go through the pearly gates. That's stuff we can experience here and now. And our job is to carry God's presence, to carry his goodness, to carry his power so people can experience it now. Amen. But we also understand that the state we live in, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of steps that need to be taken. There's a lot of people that have never tasted and seen just how good God is. There's people that don't know the presence of God, the love of God. They've never been set, set free by the power of God. They haven't stepped into this kingdom that we're talking about. And that's where you and I come in. We've got a job to do to advance the kingdom of God. And this series really, when we started it, the idea was this was gonna be primarily an outreach series focused on outreach, and we're going to get there. But God's really Really had us focusing on us as a church family, focusing on the body. We've, we've talked about how we don't want to go out and have people come into an environment that's going to ultimately be more, more damaging than it is doing them good that we want them to come into a church that's alive and awake and on fire and we're passionate about God. We really do love God with all of our hearts. It's not just you know, something that's written and something that we, we mentally know we're supposed to do. People that genuinely love God with all of their, their hearts. That's where we started in the first week, that we would love Jesus more than anything. Really, to love him more than anything, that there wouldn't be anything we wouldn't gladly lay down because of him. We talked about the rich young ruler coming to sort of a fork in the road. That if we would come to a fork in the road and you would have to choose between Jesus And anything else, we would choose Jesus every time without hesitation. Jesus over material things. Jesus over experiences. Jesus over our family. Jesus over people's opinions. Over and over again, as we come to those forks in the road, Jesus over everything else, we would love him with all of our hearts. Our our real, our real love, I would seek his kingdom above everything else. Then we took some time and we talked about repentance. You see repeatedly in God's word before there is a move of God, before there's a significant victory, before there's a pouring out of God's spirit, before someone experiences a new, level of God, a new level of the things of God, you see people sanctifying themselves, consecrating themselves, purifying themselves. Joshua told the people of Israel before they crossed the Jordan and went into the promised land, sanctify yourselves because of what God wants to do tomorrow, let's sanctify, consecrate ourselves today. So we took time to do that and focused on that a couple of weeks ago. Last week, again, Pastor Josiah, just an awesome message, talked about running the race to win, that We're not supposed to be strolling, walking, taking the things of God casually and lightly. We, we've got to run to win. That's a, that's a certain attitude that we need to have. Man, that, that message ministered to me all week long in the morning. I've been, I've been waking up thinking, man, I want to run to win today. I want to run to win. I want to give God my very best today. I want to carry out his purposes for me today. I, I don't want to wait around. I want to run to win. I hope it's affected you like that. We're, we're in this thing. We're running to win. Amen? Amen. So I want to try to pick up where where he left off. We'll jump in to the word of God here in just a moment. Would you take a moment and pray with me? And just take a moment to invite God's spirit to speak to you, to come and teach you. You can just lift your hands right where you are. Close your eyes. Just begin to tell God you want to hear from him today. Lord, I want to hear from you. Come and speak to my heart. You have my attention. I'm not here just to be here. I'm here because I know you have more for me. I want to hear, Lord. I want to receive. Father, open up your word in the way that only you can do. Holy Spirit, you're our teacher. Lord, we ask for a spirit of revelation, a spirit of understanding. Flood our hearts with light. God, give each one of us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Let our hearts be like good soil this morning. Lord, we thank you for it. We praise you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know if, if you work out or not. That's not entirely true. I know, I know some of you work out, but by and large, I don't know if you spend time exercising or not. I need to exercise more. I've been kind of in a slump these last few weeks. I uh, haven't, haven't been doing much exercising, but it's my commitment to you. Tomorrow, I'll get back to the gym. You're, you can hold me accountable. This, is, this will make me do it. Tomorrow, I'm going to start exercising again. I, I don't know if when you exercise, if you go to a place that you're like with other people exercising, it can be an interesting experience when you're exercising in a, in a gym setting. One of the things that makes it interesting is what people wear to exercise in. Things that people, you wonder what they're thinking when they think this is an appropriate outfit for me to go and be around anyone else, let alone to go and move all kinds of different ways in front of other people. And I understand when you're gonna exercise that clothing can be heavy and restrictive, and so there is workout gear. But I think people have way overestimated just how restrictive and heavy clothing is It's not that heavy it's not that it's really not that restrictive you You could probably carry a couple more inches of fabric uh, it's 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 not that detrimental to your workout. Amen. And if you're going to exercise, then a little more weight, a little more uh you know restriction It's just going to help the workout, right? You can fight through that resistance the fabrics provide, and that can be part of the workout. Just go ahead and bundle up a little bit and spare us from having to go through half our workout with our eyes closed so we don't see. You know, Minimal clothing working out, it, you know, you try not to be restricted. Well, you can get to so little clothing that that becomes restrictive on kind of what kind of movements you can do without like violating people's eyes. There's certain things, you know, you can wear so little that you better just stand still. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, things are going to be, you know, you know, just as uh, Certain movements, it's, it's restricted, you shouldn't do that. Like I, I don't know what, what muscle the butterfly stretch stretches, but you know, sometimes it's better off just to leave it unstretched, right? Because, and I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or not, but it, it seems like workout gear is getting smaller and smaller and like, if we continue on this trend, I don't wanna, I don't wanna know what gyms are gonna look like in five years. Right. It seems like men's shorts keep getting shorter and shorter. In, in five years, you're going to show up at the gym. Men are just going to be wearing like waistbands. <laughs> that's that's going to that's going to be all all that they're all that they're wearing in the in the for the sake of you know being able to exercise freely, which, you know, it's crazy. It actually goes back to where exercise and all all that stuff started years ago in ancient Greece. And so that's where I want to start is where Pastor Josiah left off in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, it says this, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now, in context, when Paul is, is, is writing this, or the writer of Hebrews is writing this in other places where we know that Paul is talking about running a race and using that analogy, in that day and time, that the games of ancient Greece and the, the, the races that they would run, they would typically run those races in the nude. They would run them naked. In fact, our, our words gymnasium, And gymnastics come from a Greek word that means to be lightly clad or to be nude. That's where the word comes from. Because when they would run, when they would uh, compete in these games, they decided to be the least encumbered, the least weighed down, will just run these races, compete in these games, completely, completely naked. So when he's talking about stripping off every weight, he's talking about a complete removal of anything that would, would hinder you. And of course, we need to remove things from our lives that, that aren't, aren't appropriate, or are going to keep us from being the men and women God has called us to be. But when these people would run the race on race day, they would run in the nude. But when they would train, they would train with clothing on. And oftentimes, in that clothing, they would sew different weights into the garments, into the hem, so it would be a little bit heavier. And they would practice exercising, practice running with those weights on. And then on race day, they would strip off those weights. It's no longer practice time because they wanted to feel light and free when it was actually time to run the race. So when he's talking about strip off every weight, again, yes, get rid of things that are gonna keep you from being able to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. But beyond that, he's talking about a mindset mindset that we take and the calling God has on each and every one of us, that this isn't a practice round. This isn't a, a time where we're just kind of going through the motions, that today matters, that this isn't just kind of a warm up. This is your life. this You are living out the call that God has for you, that we're not waiting until next year or next five years or somewhere down the road. And often times, people fall into that mindset of somewhere down the road, I'm going to be that kind of man of God. Somewhere in the future, I'm going to be a mighty woman of God. God. It's telling us, go ahead and embrace that today. This is the only 2023 that we're ever going to get. This is the only May 7th, 2023 that there ever is. We've got to approach every day, every moment, every conversation, not just going through the motions. This counts. These moments count. The, today is significant. What God has for you today is significant, and there there is no practice. Even when he says to, to run to win the race, that, that is a mindset. I'm, I've run races and in preparation for those races, I've done a lot of practice runs. You know, nobody wins a practice run. I've never, I've never won a practice run. I'm just practicing and training. It's only when the race actually counts that somebody does some winning. So when you're running to win, you're running with an awareness, man, this is it. This is my life. I am living out the call that God has for my life. I'm doing the things that he's assigned me, or I'm failing to do the things that he's assigned me. I'm actively engaged in the work of advancing the kingdom, or I'm putting off. I'm procrastinating the work of the kingdom because there isn't practice. This is this is it. This is your life to run to win, running to win. That that's the expectation he wants us to have. That you're running what well, you are. You are not open to failure. That you are believing that you're able to do the things God's called you to do. You know that you are able to do what God's called you to do. Would you say that one time? I am able to do what God has called me to do. That's running to win. You've got to have a mindset. I'm, I'm winning this thing. I'm winning this thing. I'm, I'm running with success. I will succeed at doing what God has called me what God has called me to do. And so I wanna take a few minutes this morning and talk about about some things that can hinder us, some things that can keep us from engaging, that can cause the the destiny God has for us, the giftings that he's put in us, to lie dormant and unactivated in our lives. I'd like to look at the story of Gideon You kind of use that to talk about that. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Judges chapter six. Judges chapter six. It's a couple of the things that I shared with the staff last year in the fall, but I felt to share them with you this morning. So we'll start reading Judges chapter six, starting in verse one. Says this: The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are the miracles our ancestors told us about Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So the story of Gideon, a story a lot of you are probably familiar with, the Midianites are coming and they are dominating the people of God. It says that they're they're reducing them to starvation. And so they cry out to God. God sends an angel to talk to this guy named Gideon. And when he approaches Gideon, he starts the conversation off by saying, Mighty hero, or other translations say mighty man of God, or mighty man of valor. In the Hebrew, it's it's the word gibor. It's the same word that was used to talk about David's mighty men. There it's, it's the plural, gibbereen, but here it's talking, it's talking to one. David's mighty men, the men that did these incredible things to advance God's kingdom, to defeat the enemies of God's people, to protect God's people, to claim the land of God's people. All these incredible things. He's using that same word to talk about Gideon. And he calls him mighty man of valor, mighty, mighty hero. God is with you. But when he approaches Gideon, what is Gideon doing? He's, he's messing around with wheat down in a wine press because he 's afraid he 's afraid of the enemies this isn't he 's not behaving like a mighty man he 's not doing something heroic he 's not behaving he 's not living he 's not feeling in line with the things that God had to say about him and that 's what happens in a lot of people 's lives People will live their lives at inconsistent with what the word of God has to say about them. They'll go month after month, year after year, maybe and spend their entire life living, behaving, doing things, feeling things, having emotions that are inconsistent with what God has to say about us. What Gideon needed to do, Gideon needed to accept three things so that he could have, step into the destiny that God had for him. One, he had to believe what God had to say about him. He had to believe that God really was with him and he had to believe that he really did have a destiny to do something significant for the kingdom of God that God really wanted to do something meaningful, impactful, that his life mattered, his role mattered. But you can see in the conversation we just read in those few few verses, that he goes back and forth with the angel, he's got questions, he's got doubts. How can you call me a mighty man of God? How can you call me a hero when I come from this family and this is my clan and I'm the least in my family? You, you say that God is with me. Then how come I'm, how come I've gone through the things that I've gone through? You say God is with me, what about the power of God? I've never, I've never seen the miraculous. I've never experienced those things, but he had to get to a point where he trusted what God had to say more than any of his experience. Like we said earlier, everything has to come back to the word of God. You've got to believe what God's word has to say about you above, above whatever excuse above whatever experience would contradict it. What does God's word have to say about you? Does God's word say that he's with you or he's not with you? Does God's word say he's for you or or he's against you or he's just indifferent towards you? What does the word of God have to say about you? I'll read just a a little sampling, but if we want to step into our destiny, if we wanna step into our role, if we wanna step into the purposes God has for us, a starting point is believing what God has to say about you, trusting that God is with you, that he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, believing that God does, in fact, have a call on your life and wants to do something special in you and through you. Listen to these verses. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. John 15.16, Jesus says this, You didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other for the profit of all. 1 John 2, 20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. That's just a few verses. Think about what God's Word has to say about you. God's Word says that you have a gift from the Holy Spirit. You, You are gifted. Each one of us has a gift from God. Whether it's active or dormant, I don't know, but I do know that you are gifted. It says that you have an anointing. These, these things that people spend their life like Gideon, people will spend their entire lives, he just took a chapter or two, but people will spend years just continuing to question what God says, am I anointed? Am I really anointed? Yes, yes. You are, am I really gifted? Do I have a gift? Yes, you are. The Word of God says that you are gifted. Am I really chosen? The Bible says you didn't choose Him, He chose you. That there are good works He prepared in advance for you to do. We've got to take God's Word and just accept it as fact in a foundation and begin to build from there and to come to a point where we stop asking questions and just go with what God's Word has to say about us. You are destined to advance the kingdom of God. Do you know who would have suffered if He would have spent the rest of His life asking those questions? questions? questions, it wouldn't have just been him that missed out. It would have been all of the Israelite people that were under the thumb of the enemies of God, that God wanted to use him to bring deliverance. People that were suffering, people that needed someone for, for God to get a hold of and use, those people would have missed out as well. So when you and I waste our time questioning, wondering, doubting, and false humility or whatever else, there are other people missing out on the blessing of God until you and I decide to step into our roles. We've got to accept what God has to say about us. Accept the fact that God is with you. His spirit is on. You're you the temple of the Holy Spirit. You carry the presence of God. You know that? The spirit on the inside of you is greater than any other force operating on the planet. God's put his spirit on the inside. You've got to accept that and accept that he has plans that he prepared in advance for you to do and God doesn't mess around with small plans. That you are, you are significant. I want to take a couple of minutes and look at some tests That when Gideon went out and he gathered people together to go and carry out the plan of God, there were some tests that people had to pass to be able to step into the victories that God wanted to carry out. Let's skip over to chapter seven. He goes out, he gets a bunch of people. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go and deliver the people of God. We're going to defeat the enemies of God. We're going to advance the kingdom of God, but not everyone got to participate in that. Judges chapter seven, verse one, it says, so Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Harad. The enemies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they have saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid, or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. He gathers up people, they're on their way to go and defeat the Midianites, and God says, hold on, not, not everyone's gonna pass this test. And the first test is, if you are afraid, whoever's timid or afraid, just tell them, go ahead and go home. Being afraid, fear will keep you from getting to be a part of God, what God wants to do, advancing the kingdom of God. 22,000 of these warriors said, I'm scared, I'm going. 22,000 of them, they left only only 10,000. So when we talk about fear, we could talk, I mean, there's so much to talk about with fear. I just wanna focus on one aspect of it, a couple ways that fear affects us. One fear that will keep you from stepping into your destiny, stepping into the call, the role that God has for you in his kingdom is a fear of failure a fear of failure. You can can stay there in Judges. I want to flip over to 1 Samuel and use King Saul as an example. 1 Samuel chapter 10. If you know the story of King Saul, Israel had no king. They rejected God as king. They wanted to have a man as a king. So God selects Saul to be the very first, hand chosen by God to be the first king of, of Israel. He has this amazing encounter with the prophet Samuel where the prophet anoints him. The prophet gives him a bunch of signs. They're gonna follow his confirmation, one thing after another. It's this amazing confirmation. He has been selected by God to be in the office, to have the anointing of leading people from that position. But if you know the story of King Saul, he struggled to accept what God had to say about him. Right? He wrestled with insecurity. It was a fear of failing, a fear of not being able to do and be what God had called him to do and be. That insecurity kept him from being able to operate in the anointing that was on his life. That insecurity caused him to attack the anointing on other people's lives. When you're insecure, when you have a fear of failing, man, I'm not sure if I, I can really be who God's called me to be. I don't know if I can really do those things. That insecurity, it will prevent you from operating in the role God has for you. It will prevent you from using the anointing God's made available. And it will turn you against other people who are who are anointed. And so God, God is told Saul that he's been selected. I wanna pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 10. It's the day where he's gonna be acknowledged before all of Israel, like a, a coronation day or something. All the people gather, they're gonna crown crown Saul as king. So 1 Samuel chapter 10, starting in verse 17, it says, "'Later Samuel called all the people of Israel "'to meet before the Lord at Mizpah. "'And he said, this is what the Lord, "'the God of Israel, has declared. "'I brought you from Egypt, and rescued you from the Egyptians and from all of the nations that were oppressing you. But though I have rescued you from your misery and distress, you have rejected your God today and have said, no, we want a king instead. Now, therefore, present your clans before the Lord by tribes and clans. So Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel before the Lord and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by lot. Then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord, and the family of the Matrites was chosen. And finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, Where is he? So this is the day to confirm that the anointing Samuel placed on him, he really is the guy. They go through the process of confirming, and it finally gets from the entire nation all the way down. Saul is the guy that's supposed to be king. It's time to anoint him officially. It's time to put the crown on his head and celebrate. And when they go to do it, it says that they couldn't find him. They couldn't find him anywhere. Again, verse 22. So they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he is hiding among... The baggage. He's hiding among the baggage. It's time for him to step into that office. It's time for him to step onto that, into that role. It's time for him to begin to operate in that anointing, but the spot is vacant. Where, where is he? It's, it's, it's time. This, he, he needs to be here, but they can't find him. And where do they find him? They find him hiding among the baggage. Some Christians spend a majority, if not all, of their walk with the Lord doing what King Saul was doing, allowing their their past allowing previous experiences, allowing previous mistakes and failures, allowing the baggage of their life to be something that keeps them from stepping into what God has called them to do and what God has called them to be. They hide among the baggage, which knowingly or unknowingly, it's a way of avoiding the anointing, the mantle that God wants them to rest under. It's a way of, of refusing what God wants them to do in their life. And just like, just like with, with Gideon, other people suffer as as a result. Don't allow the enemy to cause you to avoid what God wants you to do and be because you're hiding in the baggage. You're allowing past failures, different things that went on in your life previously. You're always dealing with them. They're always becoming excuses of why you can't move forward. So many people will hide in the baggage of their life as a way of not stepping into the role God has for them because they're afraid that they'll fail. You've made mistakes. You've done things you shouldn't have done. So have I. But the Bible says that any Anyone who is in Christ is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. So don't don't hide in the baggage of your life. Don't allow that to be a place that you stay avoiding. Being the man or the woman of God, operating in that office, just like just like Saul, people are looking for you to do what only you can do. People are waiting for you to step into that role, to step into that spot. The body of Christ isn't what it should be. Isn't operating at the level that it could operate because there's a void where people. People, instead, of, instead of operating and doing the things, the tasks, the anointing that's put on their life, they're busy hiding in the baggage and allowing that to be something that keeps them from the role God has for them. The Bible says that when you are in Christ, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. That the power of sin has been broken over our lives. That he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Don't allow baggage to be a place that you hide. Don't allow a fear of failure to keep you from stepping into the destiny God has for you. Another aspect of fear that keeps people. It's related, but a fear of disappointment. I I wanna look at 2 Kings, 2 Kings as an example. And again, we're we're looking at Gideon. The first test that's talked about in chapter seven was tell the people who are timid or afraid, don't bother. Tell them just go on home. They're, They're not gonna be a part of this victory. So we're looking at a couple of aspects of fear. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 14. If you're familiar with the story of Elisha, Elisha was a mighty prophet. He traveled around, and as he traveled around ministering, there was a woman, a Shunammite woman, who would feed him meals, would be good to him, would provide for him. Eventually, she builds an addition on their house so he can come and stay there when he needed to. And so he says, man, this woman's been so good to me. She's been so kind. I want to do something to bless her. And so he's talking with his servant about, man, what can we do for this woman? That's where we're picking up the story. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 14. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time, you'll be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. He's trying to think of how we can bless this woman and he calls her in and he tells this woman the blessing that God had for her. And really he's speaking, he's a prophet. He's speaking on, on behalf of God and she was afraid to listen and receive what he had to say. This is what God wanted to do in her. God wanted to put her in a new role. God had a new office for her to operate in. He wanted to move her into the role of being a mother. He wanted to give her an ability to reproduce, that life would come from her, put her in a position where she's pouring into and caring for other people, a, a position where people would be looking up to her and relying on her. He wanted to change her level. That's what he wanted to do. And when he tells her what, what God had for her, her response wasn't, thank God, praise the Lord, amen, bless God, I, I receive it. Her response was, No. No, don't you deceive me like that. It wasn't for a lack of desire. It was because of a fear of disappointment. I don't, it sounds too good to be true. I don't want to get my hopes up. And there's people here this morning that, when you hear the, the, what the Word of God has to say about you, it's not that you, you're unaware of what it says. You reject it not because you don't desire it, but because it seems too good to be true. Oh, for me to step into that role. I know the desires God's put in my heart. I know what God has to say about me. Man, it would be so nice to offer, but I don't even. Want want to get my hopes up. The blessing of God isn't based on your goodness. It's based on his goodness. So when you have the thought, man, it just seems too good to be true. It's too good to be true related to your deservedness, but that's not what it's based on. It's not too good to be true when it comes from God's goodness. What, What if you just accepted what God has to say about you? What if you just really believed everything God's word has to say about you? What if you really believe? No, he's with you. God's with you. He's with you. He loves you. He has a a plan. He wants to do great things through you. you. Maybe you know more specifically than that, the things that he has for you. What if you just really, really believed and began to walk in those things and didn't allow fear to hold you back? So the first test was the test of fear. And we'll jump back to Judges chapter 7 and look at a following test. This this next test is a little more obscure as they eliminate more people. The first one was very simple. Are you afraid? Yes, hit the road. Are you not afraid? You're welcome to stay. This next one isn't isn't quite as clearly stated. Back to Judges chapter 7, we'll start in verse 4. Everyone still with me? Judges chapter 7, verse 4. It says, But the Lord told Gideon, There are still too many people. Bring them down to the spring. I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, Divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the other ones home. So this this is the next test, and it has to do with the way that they drink. They're on their way to fight the Midianites. The the, the scared people went home. Now next, they go to a a stream of water to get a drink on their way. And God tells Gideon just to stand back and watch the way that these men are drinking water. So he stands back and he watches them. And and 9,700 of them got down on the ground and put their mouths in the water and started drinking And the other 300, it says that they drank like a dog. They drank like a dog. Now, you've probably seen a dog drink. I've got a lot of experience. I've seen a lot of dogs drink, and I've seen them drink in different ways. I've seen dogs drink from bowls. I've seen dogs drink from streams and ponds and lakes. I've seen dogs drink from puddles. I've seen dogs drink from toilets. And every time I've seen a dog drink, they're standing up, they're on their feet. I've never seen a dog laying down to drink. My my dog's legs are about four inches long. So, I mean, what's the difference? Just go ahead. Just relax. You're having a drink. Just take a load off. Just lay, lay, lay down. Relax. Have you ever seen a dog lay down to drink? They're always on their feet. These 300 men differentiated themselves by the way that they drank. It says they scooped up water, they stayed on their feet, and they drank. What's the significance of that? 9,700 of them got to that spot of water and they, they treated that point of refreshing like it was a final destination instead of a place to, just to be refreshed and continue moving on towards the destiny that God had for them. That that wasn't the spot that God was leading them to. There was more ground to cover. There was more, more room to advance. There were more battles to be fought. There was a greater victory to be won, but they were willing to settle in right there. That was a nice spot. It's refreshing, man. This is pretty nice. We got a spring. We got shade. Why don't we just stick around here? Those other men stayed on their feet knowing this is nice, but we still have work to do. We still have advancing to do. And those were the people that God was able to carry out his desire and advance his kingdom. Thank God for success. But sometimes success is a test for us whether we'll arrive at different measures of success and refreshing and enjoying the benefits of belonging to God. If we'll arrive at those points and decide just to camp out there instead of allowing it to be something that gives us strength and refreshing to keep on going, realizing we haven't crossed the finish line yet. There's still more God wants to do in you and through you. There's still more for our church. There's greater battles to be won. They settled for water. Those men were willing to settle for water when God had the sport of war waiting for them if they'd be willing, just my my eyes are still ahead. I'm not looking to get comfortable here. I want all that God has for me and whatever he wants to do in me, whatever battle he wants me to fight, whatever victory he wants me to carry out, God, I'm going to stand on my feet because I'm going to keep moving towards the finish line until you let me know that I've crossed it. Success is a test because oftentimes when people succeed, it causes them to lose their drive. Lose their passion. They stop praying. They stop pressing. They stop fasting. They stop crying out to God. They stop pushing forward. These people settled for water. Instead of being part of one of the greatest victories, enjoying the spoils of war, an incredible celebration, they missed out on it because they were content, content with water. Thank God for victories and successes. In no way am I speaking against that. But we can't allow that, any success that we've experienced, to cause us to lose a passion for more. Success tests us. You know, failures can be damaging, but oftentimes success is more damaging in people's lives because it causes them to, to stay someplace when God had greater things for them. They lose a they lose the desire to grow. They lose a the desire to keep going. They lose a desire to be mentored. They lose an acceptance of people's teaching them and speaking into their lives. They lose it. Man, I want to keep growing. I want to keep moving. I'm not content here. Thank God for this. But I know there's greater victories ahead. That's what differentiated those two groups of men. There were 300 that stayed on their feet knowing it's not time to sit down yet. It's not time to rest. We'll we'll rest when we're done. That's the kind of attitude that we need to have. What, What is excellent today becomes mediocre tomorrow. If we reach a point of excellence and decide to stay there, you very quickly, it's mediocre tomorrow. You've got a three or four-year-old child that begins to read, and you celebrate that. Man, that, that is amazing. They sound out the words, you know, just read that little little storybook with one sentence on each page. Man, that was all. That was awesome. It takes them, you know, half an hour to get through a 10-page book. Amazing. That's so good. That, that's excellent for a three-year-old to be able to do that. If they're still reading like that when they're 18, it's no longer excellent. It's a problem. There was a point in my life that what was something to be said excellent if I went a month without smoking pot. If I, if I went a month, I would share that as a testimony. Praise God, that's excellent, man. High five, you're doing awesome. That's, that's great. How many of you know that that wouldn't be so <laughs> exciting at this point? If somebody said, hey, tell me about your pastor. They said, well, I mean, he's okay. I can tell you this. It's been about a month since he smoked pot. That'd no, that'd no longer be something to be. That's excellent, man. What a guy. You're blessed. What a great pastor you've got. What was excellent at one point, if you stay at that level, very quickly loses its excellence. The God wants us to keep on pressing, keep on moving forward. And so one of the things that will prevent people from stepping into their destiny is being content with where they are instead of realizing God, God's got greater victories. Everything that you've experienced, we've experienced victories as a church. This room is filled with amazing testimonies. Some of you could tell some phenomenal testimonies. Praise God for it. But we don't want to trade that for the testimonies that are yet to come. You know, when you run a race, there, there are points along the race, if you've run a 10K or a marathon or something like that, you'll reach a point where they've got a table set up, cups of water, people handing you your water. Well, you know what that refreshing is? That's not an invitation to pull up a chair, have a seat, you did it. That's just a point of refreshing to help you to keep on going until you cross the actual finish line. You know, when you run a race, there'll actually be little stations where they invite people to come out and just clap and cheer. Well, if you see those people clapping and cheering and you you come up like you've just crossed the finish line, start pumping your fist like you did it, take your shoes off and start asking where the massage tent is, you, you you just bailed out on the race. doesn't matter how far you've come at that point. It's all, it's all worthless because you, you stopped. That God will provide certain blessings, testimonies, times of refreshing, times where we taste his goodness in special ways. Those aren't invitations to throw it into park. That is a calling, a reminder, man, the best days are still to come. If God is this good now, God, I'm looking forward because everything gets better with the Lord. Are you accepting what God has to say about you? Or are you living in practice mode? Or are you running, like Pastor Josiah said last week, are we running this race to win? Are there different things that are preventing you from stepping into your destiny? Maybe it's fear. Man, I'm, I'm afraid of failing. Man, I'm allowing baggage. I'm hiding. If I'm honest, I'm hiding in my baggage. I'm using it as excuses. I'm, a, I'm avoiding. I've got fear, so I'm not stepping into that role. Maybe I'm afraid of being disappointed. It just seems too good to be true. I know what God's word has to say about me, but I've never really embraced it. Or maybe you've experienced some victory, and if you're honest this morning, you've thrown it into park. I've experienced some good things, and I've just kind of been circling that same victory for the last year of my life instead of using it as motivation to keep on pressing forward. So I want to pray this morning that we would have people that step into their role that accept whatever mantle God wants to put on you, to understand who God has called you to be, that we wouldn't have vacant spots like on King Saul's coronation day. Where are they? Where is this person? We could really use someone operating in this way and the spot's vacant because someone's hiding for whatever reason, avoiding the calling of God on their lives. This would be a day of activation. Whatever gifts are, are dormant, whatever the enemy has used for you to not operate as a man of God, a woman of God, this would be a day with, where whatever is dormant is activated in Jesus' name, in Jesus' And I wanna pray specifically, I wanna pray specifically for people that are older. I wanna pray for people that are 60 years old and older. Because there's a temptation for all of us to do what those men did and stay by that spring of water. But you know, the longer you live, the more opportunity you have to do that. The more opportunity you have to, to think back about how things used to be. I've heard people talk about when they first got saved and how wonderful church was, what a powerful experience it is. Oh man, if we could just go back to those days. You're thinking wrong. The, the greatest things God has for you weren't before, they're still, they're still to come. It's a mistake to think that way. It, it keeps you from walking in what God has for you. That, don't allow appreciation for what God has done create stagnation in your life. Don't allow remembering to, to allow rigor mortis to set in where you're just you're paralyzed because you're, you're appreciating what God, yeah, we need to appreciate. Thank God for it. But you can look back at a sweet season of your life. Maybe it's related to church an experience you had. Or maybe it's related when your kids were little. And I remember when we were a young family and I was in my late 20s and the kids were small. Thank God for that. But you are being deceived if you think that was the best that God has for you. God doesn't bring you into a peak at 25 and then it's downhill from there. That's not the way God operates. Your greatest days are ahead of you, not behind you. You've you've got to really believe that, that what God had for you before, that was wonderful. God wants to continue to build on that. And you've got to accept my greatest days are ahead of me, not behind me. Amen. You've got to believe that. And we're experiencing something special as a church and thank God we've got young people involved in it. We're seeing God move on on our kids. We've got a phenomenal kids ministry, a a wonderful youth ministry. It's awesome to see young people involved and excited, but sometimes what can happen is it can be an excuse for older people just to clear aside and you know what? Let's just, if we had our day, now it's time for the young people. That's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. God doesn't put people on the bench. Just continues to add people to the playing field. The kingdom of God hasn't really advanced if young people step on and old people step off, we're still at break-even, except we've lost a lot of experience. Jesus. Your greatest days are ahead of you. Don't, don't accept it as a compliment. If you take it as a compliment, it's, just, it's flimsy. Take it as a reality from the word of God, it? In the end time move of God, the, the, Bible, the Bible doesn't say it's just gonna be young people. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to diminish young people at all. I once was one. Love what God's doing in our young people. But there's a tendency in people when, when someone talks about one person or a category of people and says something really good, that we think that it takes it away from us to add it to them. Like there's some kind of limit in the blessing, the blessing of God. Maybe you've experienced it, maybe you've seen it with your kids. And if someone pays a compliment to someone else, they feel like it's actually been an insult to them. You know, if I started complimenting Brother Chad on, on the, the keyboard here, what a great piano player he is. Man, he's so gifted. He's amazing. I mean, look at him. He's just like, I mean, he's been playing for 15 minutes and he hasn't even, he's got no music there. He's just coming out. What a what, gifted musician he is. I could compliment him. And maybe you play piano here. And as I'm complimenting him, you feel like it's taking some, what about me? I play piano too. Am I not gifted? I didn't say you weren't. I just said that he is. You know what I'm talking Maybe you've seen it with kids. Oh, she's such a great singer. I, what? I'm not a great singer? No, I didn't say you weren't. I said that she is. I didn't take anything from you to give it to her. Sometimes we operate like that when it comes to the things of God. Man, God's really doing a work in the young people. Yeah, he sure is. Well, he didn't take it away from you to do it in them. He's, he's got a role for all of us to play. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 2. It's talking, it's, this is on the day of Pentecost, and Peter is quoting from the prophet Joel. It says this. Acts 2.17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. He's he's talking about what God wants to do starting from the day of Pentecost and accelerating right up until today. He's very careful to, to specify that every people group is included. Young people and old people male people, and female people. God has a role for everyone. And just because we see young people rising up, praise God for it, but God wants old people, another generation involved in the advancement of the kingdom, in the kingdom of God. Your young men will see visions. It doesn't stop right there. We need some people dreaming dreams. We can't allow those people to think that they've been bypassed or set aside. God has a role for you. We need everyone functioning in their spot in the body of Christ. So I want to pray specifically for people that are 60 and over for God to stir up whatever is dormant, to drive off every lie of the enemy. They would try to convince them it's just time to, to coast on in from here. That, that's nonsense. That's a lie from the enemy. Your greatest contribution, your greatest years of fruitfulness, what God has for you. It's all been building up until this moment. God wants to, all those victories you've experienced. It's not time just to sit around and, and polish trophies you've acquired. It's time to realize if God's brought me up at this point, what does he ha- whatever he has next is going to be the most significant thing he's ever ever done in your life. You've got to believe that. Otherwise, you're just like those people in Judges chapter 7 that settle in at that spring. This is nice. This is really, oh, it's refreshing. Good water, huh? Let's just park ourselves here for a minute and miss out. There's a battle to be fought. God God wants to do something to liberate his people. And every time we, we miss an opportunity to step into the role God has for us, other people suffer other people go without. Every day you refuse for whatever excuse the enemy's convinced you is valid. Whatever reason you give, whatever fear of disappointment, whatever insecurity, wherever you've decided to park instead of continuing, continuing on towards the battle. Every day that you do that, someone is suffering because what God wants you to do is significant. It's not, it's not just playing around church stuff. People's lives are on the line. That there's a real anointing. The Bible says you have an anointing from the Holy One. The Bible says you have a gift for the benefit of all. There's something God's put on the uh, inside of you that other people need it. And until you use it, someone is missing out. Someone's going out w- without a word of encouragement. Someone's going out with, without resources that they needed to carry out the call of God on their lives. Someone's going out without wisdom that you have. Someone's going without partnership that you have. Someone's going out with a, with a, a word of insight or instruction. Someone's going without a prophecy. Someone's, maybe someone's dying because they're going without a healing that they need in their body that you were supposed to carry out. Someone's going to hell instead of going into the kingdom of God. People's lives are on the line. God doesn't just do things arbitrarily. He works through people. So if the enemy can get us caught circling old victories or hiding in the baggage of our lives or whatever other thing he can do to keep you from stepping into that office, he'll do it. But we're refusing to allow them to succeed in Jesus' name. Amen? amen? And this is a day of activating. People taking their role. People have a stirring up on their own. I'm going, to, I'm going to be exactly who God has called me to be. I'm going to believe. I'm going to set aside every excuse, all those arguments I've made in my mind. And I'm going to believe. I'm really going to believe I am anointed. I'm a great man of God. You are a great man of God, a great woman of God. Really believe it. My greatest days of contribution are coming up. You just watch. What? I'm going to make unusual spiritual progress you're going to see me change you're going to see things change around me I'm going to let God you've got to really believe I'm gifted I'm talented I'm called amen Amen. but believe it for yourself believe it let God stir that up on the inside and leave here today with that activated on the inside I I, I want to pray lay hands on everyone that would like prayers 60 years old or older fresh fresh oil fresh oil fresh dreams that's what the Bible says old people dream dreams that's the kind of stuff you do when something's coming up. Amen? They ever talk, hey, what, what's your dream? They don't, they don't talk about stuff that's happened before. They talk about something they want to do in the future. It says by this move of the Spirit in the last days, old men, man, you know what I've been dreaming about doing? You know what God's put in my heart to accomplish? You know what I'd like to be a part of? Older people are going to start having dreams. significant dreams dreams that people need to know about people people are going to be impacted by well that's this week's message thanks for joining us to stay connected with us throughout the week make sure you follow us on instagram and facebook you can also watch previous week's services on our youtube page